electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner here at Post 9, front and center this hour. The man who called yesterday's Fed surprise is back with us today, Jeremy Siegel, on what to do now with your money. Plus, those exclusive comments on stocks from hedge fund manager David Tepper from our conversation earlier today. We're going to debate all of it with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour, Steve Weiss, Courtney Gibson. She's the president of Loop Capital Markets. Jim Labenthal, John Najarian here as well. It's nice to see everybody on this big day. Let's go right to the wall. Check the markets. Mostly lower. You see there, lower across the board. Well, NASDAQ is actually higher by nearly uh, uh, 100 points. It's the 10-year note yield that may be the most interesting thing to look at today. 150 is the yield. So after that spike post-Fed, it's come down. Steve Weiss, begin with you. And I want to begin with those comments from my conversation with Tepper earlier today. Fed did a good job, he said. Stock market, in his words, quote, still fine for right now. One of his gifts, Steve, is, as you know, is being able to take some confusing things and distill it down into easily understandable um, words. Bottom line, you still have an accommodative Fed and not much has really changed. That's what he says. Yesterday, you said you were a little confused. The market was confusing. Do you have more clarity today? Do you agree with Tepper? Yeah, I do agree with Dave, and, and I spoke to him this morning as well. And, you know, I, I've been the victim of some of those uh, simple comments, frankly, over the years. But, you know, he's saying, look, we've got runway, as you reflect in your comments, to 2023. So what are you worried about? But I said, Dave, but couldn't the Fed go earlier? Couldn't they go in 2022? He goes, absolutely. But the bottom line is you still have runway. Here's where the confusion is in the market, not just for me, is that, Yes, you have bonds down, but you also have the Dow and the heavy cyclical stocks that are down, which are responding also to the Fed commentary about raising rates. And yet you have the technology sector up. So I think the market's sort of in the sorting out phase where I come out as the following. I want to have less exposure, which I do, not just because of seasonality right now. And I want to continue, as I've been consistent with, I want to continue to be in lower-valued growth stocks. That means technology and some others. To me, they're going to continue to perform. They're all-weather stocks. I'd like to be there. Where I don't want to be, and I regret being there and trying to catch a falling knife in commodities, I don't want to be in commodity stocks because their momentum trades on the way up. The stories are always unbelievable, tightening capacity, expanding demand. People, you know, the producers are rational. That's always the case for a microcosm of the cycle. Now we're seeing it. It's coming to life. We've seen lumber get crushed. We're seeing uh, copper roll over, iron ore a little bit, although I think that's safe for now. So I want to be a little cautious in this market right now. And then, of course, we have earnings coming up, and that may change the dialogue somewhat as well. Yeah, I mean, look, there's obviously, Court, a a lot to consider. And early moves in the market we've learned post-Fed aren't necessarily the way that the trend eventually shakes out. So how do you take what the Fed did? It was a surprise in, in many respects, but also Tepper saying, you know, just just chill. Not much has changed. Fed's very accommodative and the stock market's fine for right now. Hey, Scott, so great to see you as well as the panel today. Look, I agree with David Tepper 100,000 um, percent. You know, hmm. right now the Fed is doing exactly what we would want them to do. I don't know what all this chaos is around, oh, Jay Powell, and did he do a good job? Did he? What more do you want? I mean, he literally talked about talking about tapering. How much foreshadowing do you need in this market? We know that they're going to raise rates. They've said that for eons and eons. So unless people aren't listening, they didn't hear that. I don't know what this surprise was yesterday, other than saying, hey, 
we might give you two rate hikes almost two years from now. Let's think about this for a second, guys. And we don't know if it's going to be 25 bips, if it's going to be 50 bips, but they're telling you what they're thinking about for you to prepare. There are no surprises. This Fed is not trying to play games with our lives, with our money, or any of the above. I think that Jay Powell is doing a phenomenal job. And if we use our two ears to actually hear what they're saying and watch what they're doing, you'll be able to prepare your portfolios appropriately. I mean, again, what more do you want? Well, I mean, Dr. Jay, the risk, of course, is that those rate hikes, which the dots suggest you could get two in, in 2023, could actually come sooner. Because even as Chair Powell himself admitted, inflation could prove to be higher and more persistent than they think. It's all a guessing game. They don't have a crystal ball any more than you do, Doc. So, no. you know, we're giving them the benefit of the, of the doubt for now, John Ajarian. Interest rates are mm -hmm. at 150 yes, today. Um, so how do you see it from here? What are people supposed to do now? Um, I, I think the key was what Courtney said there, and that is um, that uh, people that are listening can start positioning whenever they deem that appropriate, Scott. Um, so in other words, I agree with, with, you, with you, Court, uh, about, you know, this is out in the future. They've said they're going to do this, and this is, you know, pretty far out into the future. So for somebody like me, I'm not going to be adjusting my portfolio very significantly at all for something that's out in 2023. On the other hand, there are a lot of portfolios that clearly either got nervous when they heard those words as far as, okay, well, I'm going to start adjusting now at all-time highs in the market, which you can't really blame them for, Scott, even though we think GDP is going to continue to surge and uh, perhaps uh, we're going to have that uh, inflation move be indeed transitory. You know, the jobs reports have not been as stellar as people would e expect, nor have the jobless claims this morning been as positive as we all had hoped. So with the market at all-time highs, am I going to blame some people for getting to the sidelines in those Dow stocks? Because that's the sector that, or, you know, those 30 stocks are the ones being hit, Scott. The Nasdaq, mm -hmm. to your point, We've been up all day and moving higher, and I think those stocks continue to work that way. So it really depends on what your portfolio is. Does it look more like that Dow portfolio, or does it look more like the NASDAQ portfolio? So, Farmer Jim, you know, one of the comments we hear quite often from people around Wall Street is, you know, I'm going to pull a Wayne Gretzky. I'm going to skate to where the puck is going rather than to where the puck is today. I say that as I read a Rick Reader tweet from literally seconds ago. It's time now to set up for the end of this long-running long running hashtag emergency policy-focused movie. So if that is the case, how are we supposed to prepare today for where the puck rates are eventually going down the road? Let me start answering that question by saying how the market's answering it, okay? Everything in the market today is saying, oh my goodness, the Fed's getting hawkish and it's going to crush growth, economic growth. That is so laughably wrong. And, and what I'm talking about right now is you mentioned the 10-year, that's one of them, crude oil off 2%, but the 200 basis points underperformance of large cap value versus large cap growth is the market's way of saying the puck is going to slower economic growth. I think that is laughably wrong. I think it's laugh out loud wrong. Um, you still have vaccines and reopening. You still have economic stimulus. And biggest picture of all, we're talking about the Fed raising rates two years from now. Two years. I cannot make portfolio adjustments latest. on what at may happen latest. two years Remember. from now. Remember, though, Jim, that the dots are not, not at the written latest. in Sharpie. Not at the latest. They're not written in Sharpie. No, it's not. I mean, if things get a little no, bit but it's hotter. Way, it's not at the latest. It's not at the latest. OK, that's where the median dot plot says liftoff will happen as mid-2023. The median dot plot. 
All right. There are people who think it's going to be earlier on the board and there are people who think it's going to be later. But I'll tell you what, I'll play the game with you. Let's say it is earlier. Let's say it's 18 months. Let's say it's at the beginning of 2023. That's 18 months from now. Right now, you've got people who are traveling again. You've got people who are spending on restaurants again, buying cars. You've got iron ore manufacturers pre-announcements, auto manufacturers pre-announcing positive. This is a time for playing economic growth. And if you're giving up on the value trade right now, you are wrong. You're going to be sorry. Okay. You're going to be sorry. Okay. And Scott. So, Courtney, hey, hang on, Courtney. I'm coming to you now anyway, because Scott Minard of Guggenheim is doing a call literally as we speak. Thank you, Patty Martell, senior producer of our show, for sending this to me as we're having this conversation. He says inflation is spiking. Yeah, we all know that. But you only reopen once. More than half of the total increase in the CPI, he said, over the past two months has been due to used cars, rental cars, hotels and airfares. Core inflation, he thinks, will decelerate sharply next year as supply disruptions ease and demand cools. Fed, this is the most important. Fed hikes still years away as we remain a long way from inflation and employment objectives. All that is true, especially, Courtney, from an, uh, an employment standpoint, which we know how much Jay Powell really cares about. As he should. And there is a dichotomy in the society, which we all very well know, as to the disenfranchisement of minority groups and women as it relates to this kind of recovery there. But I want to go back to what you said on no one having a crystal ball, Scott, because it's 100,000 percent true. But one thing is also true. We have a government that sends out data consistently. We have a system that gets us real-time information. So again, if they're going to plan, if we want to play along with this, if they're going to plan to raise rates prior to what they've already intimated they're going to do, we will know, we will have indications. And if they're raising rates, let's, let's step out of our shoes for a second and, and kind of play this at, at kind of layman's terms. If they're raising rates, Scott, what that means is the economy is doing better. More people have jobs. The consumer is 70% of GDP. What happens then? People start spending more money. That savings rate that has not been at, at the levels it's been in, what, 50 years, maybe longer than that, people start to spend, as, as our farmer Jim just said. People are traveling. People are buying cars. People are building things. Guess what that does, Scott? That creates revenues and hopefully profits for the companies Unless... that people own Jim, hold on, Steve. Steve, unless Steve, yeah. I'll come to you now. Unless those very yeah. rate hikes, which represent a strong economy, hurt the economy. I'm looking at the bank stocks, for example, today. OK, banks They're seem not. to be damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you if rates are going up, it's supposed to be good for the banks. If we think that there's going to be inflation and rates are eventually going to go up, why are the banks down today? If you. Right. I mean, well, the, the banks are all lower. If, if I listen to you guys, you're like, well, hey, it's all good. The rates are going to go up. The economy's going to be good. Banks. Why aren't the banks? Why aren't the banks? The up? market's getting it wrong, Scott. The market's getting it wrong. I'm sorry to well, jump look, in, but I need to make this point loudly. The market is wrong today. The market is saying that growth, economic growth is going to get crushed because the Fed is suddenly turning hawkish. They are wrong. By the way, you can raise rates at the Fed. You can have that happen in a growing economy. I mean, we're talking about going from 0% on the Fed funds rate. The market is just flat out overreacting today. And for investors like everybody on this show and everybody watching, just take it easy. Just be patient. Let today pass. Tomorrow will be fine. Right. The banks that, are going to be good, fine, too. So that's, a, that's a good way to, to, to get into uh, our headliner today, because one person who is not surprised by what the Fed did, Wharton Professor Jeremy Siegel, who told us this right here yesterday, hours before the decision. Listen, I think you're going to see a big shift in the dots towards a more aggressive tightening stance. And honestly, I'm not sure the market is ready for that. OK, Professor, you're back with us. Did you have a mole in the Fed or something like that? I mean, how, you nailed it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised at all. And uh, by the way, I think those dots are going to become more aggressive as we go forward. I actually think within the next two, two and a half months, we're going to get a tapering, uh, an announcement of a tapering plan. Uh, and I actually do think that rate hikes will begin next year. 
Now, is that something to panic about? No, not necessarily. In fact, I'd worry if if they didn't, because I do not. I mean, I believe Jay Powell is a great communicator. I mean, uh, he was very, very clear. He believes his staff who says all these factors are basically temporary. I, I don't believe that. I think there's much more permanent factors going on here. We're going to get our next CPI on July 13th. That's going to be very important. And by the way, all those members, what they're going to, a lot of them were raising questions to Jay. And, and he said, listen, I think it's temporary. You know, let's believe the staff until we see something different. So they're going to be watching like a hawk and so will all the others. Watch that inflation data next two and a half months. That will dictate the Fed policy going forward. Okay. Uh, remember, I, I believe that the money that's been pushed in is going to give us a 20% cumulative bump in the price level. That doesn't mean 20% inflation in one year or anything like that. Two or three years of five, six, seven. That's way above what they put in their forecast. This was step one in moving towards what I think is going to happen. Uh, I think there are going to be further steps in the future. Okay, so uh, we gave you a healthy platform yesterday to share your view that there was going to be a surprise. Now I'm going to I want to invite you into the gauntlet, if I could, Professor, because Jim Labenthal just just put a point of view forward that is a 180 degree turn from what you just said. Jim, I want to let you in. You think you think rate hikes are not going to be as soon (laughs) as the professor said, right? You said the market is getting uh, it totally wrong. Yeah. So, um, by the way, uh, Professor, you may not remember this, but I'm one of your students, so I hate to disappoint oh. you with a disagreement. Um, That's fine. But, uh, and, well, it was 25 I years ago, it. so I've forgotten a lot, apparently. <laughs> but listen, no, look, what I'm doing right now, what I'm doing right now, Professor, and I'd love your feedback on this, is what I'm saying is, whether it's 18 months or 24 months, that's far longer than the horizon in which the normal human being can project. So what I'm doing is I'm simply taking the summary of economic projections, which suggests that liftoff is two years from now. It may be later. It may be sooner. There are too many unknown variables, which are the proverbial butterfly flapping its wings today that can cause a hurricane tomorrow for us to say that it's going to be next year or the year thereafter. So I'm simply going with uh, the governors and their summary of economic plots. Do you think I'm terribly wrong? No, I think you're right on how much uncertainty there is uh, out there. And, and, the, and the truth of the matter is, uh, I, I, let's be honest, Fed forecasts of inflation and of the real economy have not been great. Neither have that of the uh, private forecasters. They really do react to the data. My my belief is when I take a look out there, at the liquidity that's already in the system and the economic activity and fiscal stimulus that we're going to get that bump in inflation and they're going to start seeing it in the July report, the August report, and they're going to modify their uh, policy on on that basis. I, I absolutely agree with you. They're, I think their forecasts are still far too conservative wow. on that. You're, you're, you're not going to make the bulls happy because you're, you're, I feel like you're, you're taking the market down a little bit well, uh, yet again I, you know, as you say the, this. I, I, you know, the, the, and you say not happy. I don't know whether the market should welcome just unlimited liquidity into the future. I, I, I actually think a healthy economy requires them to step back. I mean, it is puzzling to me with the strongest housing market, uh, maybe in the post-war period, uh, you know, prices, medium prices up 20 percent, that they still have to be buying $40 billion a month of mortgage-backed securities. I mean, what is the purpose of that? Uh, I, I mean, I'm just a little bit puzzled. They've done a great job. I've liked what they did last year. I praised what they did last year. And now it's time to say we did it. Let's step back and begin the normalization rather than, oh, this is temporary. We're not quite at where we're going to go. And uh, if they're going to try to attempt to fine tune it, 
no Fed has been able to fine tune the economy. They've got to start sooner. So the the Dow right now, Professor, is down 330. Looks like we're at the lows of the day, almost across the board. Even the Nasdaq, which was up triple digits, is coming off of that. But what do you say, Professor Siegel, to the David Teppers of the world who say, Fed did a great job yesterday. Stock market still looks fine. Scott Minard, who is probably still speaking as we're having this conversation, and I reiterate, he said Fed hikes are still years away as we remain a long way from inflation and employment objectives. He said, yeah, okay, inflation spiking, right? We get it. Anybody didn't expect inflation to spike to this point, you know, it's clueless. And but you only reopen once. And a lot of this stuff and you mentioned the CPI coming out again. He said, look, a lot of that has been due to used cars, rental cars, hotels, airfares, things we know are not sustainable. Well, we're going to look at July 19th, and is it going to come down or not? I mean, I, the CPI, the way it's constructed, is a very lagged index, a lot of price increases, particularly housing, do not get built in until months later. I mean, it seems you know, puzzling, you know, with a 20% medium increase in the price of houses, that owner-occupied costs have gone up like 1% or 2%. It's the way they calculate. I think there's a lot of prices that are going to be pushing through to give that CPI a much hotter look going forward. Um, and that's why, uh, if you think it's all temporary, then July should be back down to two-tenths of 1%. We'll take a look and see. I mean, these are going to be the very important things to look at. Yeah, well, I, I don't mean, know why. I just, if, 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 if what you say is investor, and he's done some great predictions. Um, I'm looking at the liquidity, the fiscal stimulus, the macroeconomics, which has been my training all the time, uh, and that tells me that we are not done with this inflation. Uh, he may say, "Yeah, but look, Professor. I mean, look at the ten-year. Look at what's yeah, happening I see in the, some of the rate I see now, the I understand ten, the shorter. I see the ten-year." Uh, it, it, it's still above where it was pre-announcement. Uh, uh, it is coming down. And by the way, that is really the reason why the banks haven't been doing well. That is the reason why you know, NASDAQ is, out, is, is outperforming. And remember, the, the term I used, I, I said taper tremor. I didn't say taper tantrum. Um, I think we did have a little tremor. And now we're going to have to see what, what we're going to, what kind of data and even... Listen, even Powell yesterday said, you know, I could be wrong on this temporary. It's my belief now that it is temporary and we, we're going to continue and wait. But he didn't foreclose. And to that extent that he admits that he could be wrong, I'm going to give him credit. Good communicator and, and, and an honest man and well-intentioned. And yeah, Tepper well, could give him you know, a good score. Now, That's a good score. Doesn't mean now, he's now. right. It just now, means now that the, he's willing to listen and is a good communicator. OK, OK. Um, now the real work begins, though. I've got questions, as you might imagine, from the committee. Courtney, you first, then Steve Weiss. But Courtney, you go first with Professor Siegel. Absolutely. It's so great to have you, Professor. Here's my question you. for you, though. Um, you know, we're mentioning that, you know, obviously the Fed believes, the market seems to also believe that the inflation is transitory. But you said there's specific things that you believe are not. What are the things that you actually think are going to be much more sustained as we look forward that, you know, our viewers and on all of us should be thinking about? Well, I think there's two things. First of all, the housing, as I say, the way it's calculated in imputed rents and rents. Uh, look at wages of, you know, starting wages because of the shortage of labor, which is only going to be partially alleviated, you know, when the excess unemployment insurance comes off and, and, and school starts. Um, I think these a lot of these supply shortages are really due to demand surges. Yes, there are some disruptions, but uh, I think it's just that so many people are demanding and that, that's got to respond to those higher prices. So higher wages in the active market. You know, we've been, you know, you've heard from Chipotle and others that are beginning to raise their prices. I think this is the beginning. Um, I also say that those who talk about, well, look at lumbers come down, look at uh, these commodities have come down. Yes, they've come down. They're still well above 
pre-pandemic levels. I am not yeah. talking about yeah. inflation like the 1970s, where, by the way, from 1970 to 1985, we had a 150% increase in the price level. That's how inflationary that was. I'm saying we're going to have a 20% cumulative increase in the price level. We have to be aware of it. And the Fed has got to slow down on that liquidity to make sure that that doesn't get built in so that we have a persistent inflation way above what their target intentions are. Okay. Steve, Steve Weiss, um, Dow's approaching a 400-point decline at, at this moment. What's your question for Professor Siegel? Is he right or is he wrong? He's essentially saying that the Fed's behind the curve, and they're going to have to react much more quickly right, so I, than, than we think. So I've been told to be brief, so I'll cut out the niceties, which I always cut out. Professor, you're wrong, and here's why. Inflation has been transitory. You're acting as if this massive liquidity is brand new with pandemic. That's not true. We've had massive liquidity, in fact, zero rates in Japan for over a decade. We've had almost zero rates in Europe since almost 2008, 2010. Yet they fought to try and get inflation higher. In fact, we haven't seen it move up in Japan. And in Europe, it hit 2% twice. And in this country, where we've had essentially free money since 08, we fought to get inflation anywhere near to 2%. So with the pull forward of technology that we've seen in the pandemic, you're going to cut your labor costs starting now, actually, and then going in September when everybody comes back to work. The commodity cycle, it's always boom or bust. And we're seeing it bust now. You mm-hmm. can't say, hey, I'm right because inflation's going to return higher. And look, it's still way where it is, which is up 50% or 40%. Yeah. The trend is down. It's going to continue. So at, I at think the, that inflation that rate, is transitory. At well, that rate, Weiss, I mean, if that, if that was brief, you should have just included the, the niceties at the top. At this point, it wouldn't have made much difference. I measured it on the Josh scale. Okay. Uh, Let me respond. You are looking just at the interest rate. You're not looking at the money supply. You're not looking at the amount, at the surge in the amount in savings accounts and checking accounts, which in 2020 hit a 150 year high. Un. Precedent. What was the savings rate in Japan over the last decade? I'm not talking about the savings rate. I'm talking about the amount of money in people's checking accounts, savings accounts, and money market mutual funds and CDs, the most liquid assets you have. Those are very important determinants of spending, not just the interest rate. The interest rates in a secular decline in all developed world and, and for very good reasons that have to do with aging and demographics and all of that. But never have we had the surge of people having money in their accounts the way that we have over the last 16 months. And that is the source of why I'm uh, pessimistic about a temporary inflation that we see right now. So, so Professor, right, yields, as with such an interesting market day, right, we're seeing stocks the sell-off accelerate, the drop in yields accelerate as well as there's obviously, you know, some bit of a flight to safety uh, in some regards, right? The dollar's up and and rates are falling as we're having this conversation as well. Now we're at 148 on the 10-year. What, if you're right, and and let's give you the benefit of the doubt for the sake of the conversation, if if nothing else, what are our viewers supposed to do in the market then now? What, what areas do they want to buy or stay away from? Well, and then, Dr. J, yeah, I'm coming I mean, to you for I, a question. But first Professor, of you all, first. you know, at, as I mentioned yesterday, stocks are still claims on real assets. I'm not bearish on the uh, stock market. I'm bearish on long bonds. Now, they're getting a bid now. Of course, whenever we see sell-offs in the market, they always get the bid. They're, the, they're, they're that, uh, you know, rush to safety asset. So we, so we see that, and that's what a major reason why people hold the, the bonds, actually, is, is basically just a hedge. It's not that they're supposed to get a great, a great return there. Now, as far as people say, well, go into those inflation hedges, that, you know, the truth is a lot of those have already appreciated. I mean, you know, raw property, uh, you know, I said 20% inflation, medium price of homes are already up 20%. A lot of commodities are already up 20%. They saw it. 
they've responded. The CPI is going to be coming after that. The shortage of labor is going to be coming after that to push that level up. So it's not like a slam dunk, you know, let me just go into these commodity hedges. A lot of the reason they've done so well is they saw the liquidity and they've moved on the basis of there may be a little bit more to go. Um, but certainly the higher yield. What are you, yield, what, what are you suggesting? Go to cash? Will, what? Are me? you suggesting to go to cash? I mean, you said. No, you know, no, okay, cash, is, the, cash is. No, I mean, you know, we're getting we're getting a sell, sell off now, maybe because. Of the fear, you know, eventually, this, eventually the Fed's going to tighten. There are going to be more ripples. Eventually, listen, in the next three years, we're going to have a bear market. I can virtually guarantee it. Does that mean sell now? No, absolutely not. Not if it's up 40% before it's down that 20%. Stocks are still, I mean, I haven't lowered, even though I am pessimistic about the reported inflation outlook, I haven't lowered my stock allocation because they're real assets. They're real assets. So, you know, yeah, I, listen, in the short run, you react to interest rates. You react to, oh, my God, the Fed is going to tighten sooner. That day of reckoning, that's the psychology. But for a longer term investor, you know, you want a Fed that responds and not just keeps on that liquidity. You don't want to get into the 70s because that is a really serious situation. We need huh. the Fed made a, a mini move, uh, a baby step. Uh, it needs to take more to say that it's taking those inflationary expectations in hand. That's what I need. To OK, say. Dow right now down 400. Uh, you see yield sinking too, Dr. J, question for the professor. Yeah, uh, it's actually I am in agreement with the professor, Scott, because I, I think it's like putting toothpaste back in a tube. You've got uh, I was listening to Brian Moynihan this morning from Bank America talking about how much more money are in people's checking accounts now, immediately accessible, as the professor says. Um, and I think that inflation is not nearly as transitory as other people think. That doesn't mean that I'm running around with what little hair I have, Scott, on fire. Um, but it does mean I'm being a little <laughs> more cautious because I do think they'll be forced to move even sooner uh, than that statement yesterday. But like I say, I think that... Uh, this is a difficult uh, thing to do to get inflation back when you've got this much money that they've been throwing at the market, this much money that Congress has been throwing at individuals and those savings at near record high levels, Scott. Yeah, we have this yeah. whole confluence, too, of all of this happening at the same time where you have seasonal weakness in the market as well. It's, it's, it's somewhat of a perfect storm for, for some kind of sell-off given the, the somewhat of a surprise, really, from, from the Fed. Professor, I got to run. Thank you so much for coming back well, thank today you very much. to react to your call yesterday and what the Fed has done. I know we'll talk to you again soon. Dow's cutting Absolutely. its losses, albeit slightly, down about 373 points. Up next, another big market voice weighing in. Morgan Stanley's Chris Toomey joins us. Dr. J still has unusual activity. We're going to trade some more stocks. We've got some committee moves to go over as well. I promise you, we'll get to all of that. And you can watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. 
Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The White House is opening a new front on the war against the coronavirus. The Biden administration says that it will invest more than $3 billion to accelerate research and manufacture new COVID treatments. The Supreme Court ruling unanimously that a Catholic foster care agency does not have to work with same-sex couples seeking to adopt. The court said that Philadelphia violated constitutional religious protections when it limited the city's work with the agency. And tonight on the news, today's Supreme Court rulings on Obamacare, religious and gay rights, and child slavery, and what precedents those decisions may set. And tennis star Rafael Nadal is skipping Wimbledon and the Tokyo Olympics. The 35-year-old Spaniard says that he made the decision after, quote, listening to his body. Nadal made it to the French Open semifinals last week, but then lost to Novak Djokovic in an epic four-hour match. Your now update. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, we appreciate it very much. Dow and S&P. Bouncing a little bit off their session lows. Joining us now to talk more about what to do with your money is Chris Toomey. He is Morgan Stanley uh, with Morgan Stanley Private Wealth. It's, it's good to see you. I don't know if you heard the interview with uh, Professor Siegel and, and the gang. I hope you did. Um, is the market getting it wrong, Chris, today, or, or have we seriously witnessed uh, a sea change? You know, I don't know that the market's getting it wrong. I think the thing is, is that the market, um, I think, really believes Powell and the Fed in the sense that uh, they're not necessarily in a big hurry to start raising rates. And I think if you look at the movement with the 10-year prior to the Fed meeting and now after the Fed meeting, I think the fact of the matter is, is that I think they recognize there's some concerns with regards to inflation, but they think that they, they, what, they, what the Fed is going to do versus what the Fed, is, Fed should do are two totally different things. And so I think the Fed right now thinks that the I think the market thinks the Fed's on hold, and um, and that's why they're reacting the way they are. Well, you, you really think the market thinks the Fed's on hold? I mean, I would suggest to you, by virtue of the activity in the market, the market's a little bit scared that the Fed is going to start raising sooner than people think. I, I mean, I look at the ten-year right. So the ten-year prior to COVID was around 1.9 and prior, you know, the period between the credit crisis was around 2.55 for that period. Right now, the, Fed, the 10 years below 1.5, right? And it's been going lower and lower as people are digesting this news. And I think part of that has yeah. to do with the fact that they think the Fed's on hold, you know? That I, and, and, and personally thinking, you know, listening to what Powell said and looking at the data, I have a hard time believing that they're gonna do anything aggressive until sometime after the fall, when we see what's going to happen with regards to what's going on in Washington, and we get through this period where people aren't receiving all of these checks anymore. I mean, some would I say, mean, you know, we're looking in the wrong place at the 10-year, right? Look at the two-year, the five-year, right? The shortest end of the curve is the one that's probably reacting the most. And maybe what you're seeing in the 10-year is a simple flight to safety in a very uncertain and choppy ocean that we may be about to get on the boat and go out for a ride. And it might not be as joyful as it once was. In, in that environment or what, you know, we, we think's coming up, where, where should we be investing? What, what, what should we be buying or what should we be staying away? I'll ask you the same question I asked the, the professor. Yeah, and look, I'm in agreement with him as well. I mean, I think uh, we're going to see higher inflation for a longer period of time than what the Fed is talking about. I mean, if you look at it, we're in a situation where we were expecting these hot numbers in the U.S. We saw two hot CPI numbers in the U.K. and in Canada. But we also think there's some structural things that are going to be pushing prices higher, whether it's demographics or deglobalization with regards to onshoring, debt monetization. All of this spending is going to have to be paid for at some point, and that's going to create uh, some pressure on prices going higher. Um, I think the question is is whether that the Fed's going to do anything about it. And I think it, what's really going to happen is we're going to see inflation picking up. We're going to continue to see negative real, uh, real rates. And that's going to create the capitulation with regards to the Fed having to raise rates. And so from an equity standpoint, you know, look, inflation is annualized out at 3% uh, since the 1920s. Equities is annualized out at north of 9%. So I think you want to be in equities right now. 
But I think you want to yeah. go back to our mid-cycle playbook, which is a focus with regards to consolidation. I think earnings are going to continue to be outperforming. I think margins, um, I think multiples will be contracting. You know, we've seen multiples contract about 5% this year. Historically, they've contracted about 20%. So you want to make sure that you are upgrading your portfolio from a quality standpoint. Better balance sheets, stable earnings growth, and businesses that aren't tied to stimulus or reopening. So I think the three areas that we would be adding to right now, reflationary beneficiaries with regards to financials, defensive quality with regards to staples, and I think the, the theme that we're most excited about is reasonably priced growth in the, in the um, area of healthcare. Mm. It's interesting, as you say, financials. I mean, it's the it's the most interesting part of the market today. I, I think you know the way they're trading down, even though the market is scared on rates going up. Rates going up theoretically good for the banks, but as Jim Labenthal said earlier, rates going up. There's also the view that that's bad for the economy. Maybe that hurts the the banks too. And that therein. Mr. Toomey lies why there's a bit of confusion in the market as we try and digest everything post-Fed. I'll talk to you again soon. That's Chris Toomey, uh, Morgan Stanley Private Wealth. Thanks for your time today. I apologize, a bit abbreviated, but I'll make it up to you next time. Straight ahead, the Investment Committee's latest moves. Plus, June is Pride Month, and all month long, we're spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our very own CNBC anchors and producers. Here's personal finance expert Susie Orman. Being a lesbian has been the greatest part of my life. Be proud of who you are. Stand in your own truth. Tell everybody, because if you know who you are, I promise you, it will get you to exactly where you want to go. That's what happened to me. That can happen for you as well. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's talk about some of the moves the gang is making. Courtney, you bought SoFi. Wow, and you sold J.P. Morgan and Citi. Do tell. I did. I did. Well, uh, I would say I bought SoFi because our very own Liz Young uh, is obviously over there now, which is only going to help them. But also, I like disruptive technologies, especially in fintech. SoFi is going to be a name for the future. It's very similar to why I love market access, where I sit on the board, or PayPal, or Square. Entities that are disrupting industries or creating efficiencies, however you want to look at that, are names I want to be in and that I believe in. And buying SoFi today under 22 was something that uh, I think will pay off in short order, but I also think this is a long-term play. Yeah, I'm surprised the J.P. Morgan and Citi thing. Well, tell me, talk me through that. What's up with that? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because people were, you know, kind of screaming about, oh, it's down today and where the banks are. But I actually sold on 6-1. And I don't know if you guys have a chart, but where I sold, it hasn't gone back to those numbers since. So I sold J.P. Morgan, what, around 166, City around 79.55. But be clear. I would get back in. The leadership at those entities are incredible. The balance sheets are incredible. I mean, J.P. Morgan just this morning bought Nutmeg. Why? Because they also, Jamie's a smart man. He wants to actually get J.P. Morgan prepared for where the puck is going, to use your earlier analogy. I mean, it's a $5 billion asset manager in the U.K. So, honestly, uh, if we get some more pullback here in J.P. Morgan, I'm back in with Jamie. And, well, why did uh, you sell it, though? Uh, uh, but why did you sell because you, I, I, were you fearful that they were well, going to continue to go down? Well, because I also saw, so it's, it's a little bit of a couple of things, right? And it's a little more nuanced as it relates to their, the balance of their business. So I also still hold Bank of America because as interest rates do continue to rise, they are lenders. They are kind of larger depository institutions. And so I think they will benefit from that kind of creep up in the interest rate. And it is a creep up, let's be clear. Um, but with J.P. Morgan and Citi, they do also have very strong capital markets businesses and particularly FIC businesses, which drove the revenue expansion that we saw in the first
first and second quarter, uh, or in the first quarter. And second quarter was light. I mean, spreads were incredibly tight. I do not think that those numbers were sustainable. And so I'm, I think mm-hmm. we're going to get a little bit of a pullback here after the next set of earnings, not because those names aren't going to do well and they might be offset by, you know, reducing some of the money that they set aside during COVID or whether it was um, whether it's because they're going to start returning a ton of capital. So it might be offset a bit. And I want to be clear on that. But if it does pull back, I'm back in. Okay, Steve Weiss, you're you're short the XLE. You think the run in energy is done? I do. Last week I had the debate with Adam Parker on the show, and I think that it's over. It's another commodity and it's going to follow the other commodities down. It's a momentum trade. Sure, there were some fundamentals there. Commodities are always momentum trade. So what's going to happen is people are going to be crying in their milk. They'll be begging for handouts. Take some money off the table, please. Okay. Doc has unusual activity coming up, and so is Rick Reader. BlackRock's uh, BlackRock's Rick Reader is joining us next. He said he's got to start preparing now in the market for the inevitable of when the Fed does raise rates. Let's find out where he's putting some of that $2.7 trillion to work next. All right, let's bring in BlackRock's bond king, Rick Reeder. He's the CIO of Global Fixed Income, also the head of the global allocation team. He joins us on the phone. Rick, thank you for calling in. Is the market getting this wrong? I, I tell you, you know, it's supposed to be a sleepy summer. I, the, uh, I don't know how they, they pulled the rug out from under it. Listen, I think uh, I, I don't know if the market's getting it wrong. I think the uh, it depends which market. I think the uh, the fixed income market, the bond market, is the curve flattening strikes me as the as uh, as the right move. I mean, the curve. I mean, I think the Fed, what the Fed is doing, was exactly the right thing. It's time to make some adjustment. You're watching an incredible unwind of some positions in the bond market. I mean, I think I don't think anybody really thought the Fed would do it and would come this way. I mean, while it is the right thing to do, I don't think many thought it would do it this quickly. So you're getting a big unwind in the bond market. You know, the equity market has held in pretty well. Obviously, it's come off recently, but I think that's the right thing. I don't think the equity market is coming under. You know, you could have some volatility over the next next week or so. But anyway, I think the market is going to be in the, in okay shape. And when people digest this. You know, realize it's time to uh, to adjust policy, and, and and the Fed's doing the right things. Yeah, I mean, what what is what is the market's going to be in okay shape exactly mean? I mean, you know, I talked to David Tepper this morning, and he told me the market's okay for now, stocks are okay for now. Is you agree with that? And what does that mean in in your mind? Uh, he's a smart guy. I, I'd say the uh, so I think that's right. I think uh, it depends what I'm. Uh, in some ways, I'm actually rooting for it to come off a bit and people to worry about, you know, the fact that the Fed's moving. Because when you put in perspective how much the Fed is doing, um, you know, relative to the size, we talk about many months from now, well into the the, uh, the Fed's going to start reducing maybe 10 billion a month on what is net sub, net uh, supply of a couple hundred billion. It's not that significant a move. So I don't I don't think at the end of the day it's that big a deal. So you know, we'd love the market to pull back a bit. You know, we've been as we talked about in your show, we're holding some cash. We'd like the market to pull back. Listen, I don't think it's going down very far. There are some companies that are that are out there. Quite frankly, they've gotten repriced recently. That are twelve to fifteen percent persistent ROE type of companies that we'd love to buy at cheaper levels. I don't think it's going down very far. I mean, that's certainly going to counter um, you know some of the more bearish forecasts just because of the market trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen. Nick, did you make any moves? I mean, I mentioned all of this money that you oversee, something yeah. like $2.7 trillion. Did, did you make any moves post-Fed or this morning up until the point we're having this conversation that we need to know about? Uh, well, I don't know how public I should be, but the uh, but yeah, we've done some things. I mean, we like I say the cur- the curve uh, the curve flattening is a uh, we think it's the right move. So you know when we uh, we saw some of the news out of the Fed, that was definitely something we jumped on pretty quickly. I have to say, I'm letting some uh, letting some treasuries go into this rally. Um, you know, it's a pretty. I mean, while we think the curve should flatten, rates coming down significantly is uh, is a bit faster than we would have thought, or, or quite frankly, surprising. So we are letting some treasuries go. Other than that, you know, I think I was listening to your earlier caller around uh, or speaker on some of the some of the financials. Listen, financials have had a good run, and uh, you know, letting some of those go in a in a flatter yield curve environment, we think makes some sense. So uh, I uh, I probably did some of the some of that today. Wow, financials too. Um, that's interesting. So let me ask you lastly before I let you go, because uh, I do got I got to move. When is the first rate hike in your mind? Not the taper. The actual yeah. first hike comes when to, to Rick Reader. 
So, so I'm sticking the same thing I've said on your show for a while. I still think that they can move at the you know towards the end of 2022, and I don't think there's any reason why and why that would necessarily be disruptive. And to begin the taper program, you know, certainly at the end of this year, and uh, and then to start to move rates at the end of 22 or in the beginning of 23. I'm like I say, I like many others are surprised that the uh, that the dot plot got there so quickly. But but yeah, I still think that's very much on the table. Siegel was your professor at Wharton, too, wasn't he? Yeah, that's true. That is, he's a smart man, but uh, I don't think I was his prize student. <laughs> I don't know about that. You seem to have done okay. Rick, we'll talk to you soon, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much yes, for coming sir. to the phone. Thanks, Scott. All right, all right. Quick break, unusual activity with Doc and Final Trades next. Okay, Dr. J, unusual activity. Tell us what you have today, please. All right, Scott. Uh, Courtney's been all over this 100,000% uh, expression all day. I don't have that for you, Scott, but I do have a 1,000% return on this one already. AMD, wow. they were buying the 82 calls with the stock at the money, paying 24 cents for uh, calls that expire tomorrow. They've already taken 10x out of that one, Scott. And then they moved it out to the June 25th expiration. Next Friday, uh, they're buying the uh, 85 calls. So two of those trades in AMD, both projecting that it goes significantly higher. Second one, Macy's 10,000 of the August 21 calls with the stock at 1844. Uh, back to school play, perhaps. Also, they have earnings the 17th of August out there, Scott. And quickly, on that big pop that we got on Corsair uh, Monday when I was on with you, we exited that trade. Okay, Doc, thank you. you ha do you have a final trade for us? I do. I do. It's one of these memes that's popping up, and it's BlackBerry. BB bought it uh, mm. before the show was on, almost used it for unusual as well, Scott. Yeah, understood. Doc, thank you. BlackBerry again. Uh, meme mania. All right, Courtney, what do you have for us? I'm going with Disney today. Obviously, J.P. Morgan mm. just reiterated their 220 price target. Yeah. However, Loops had a 220 price target on it for a while. And I think that name is here to stay. It's got a tremendous amount of momentum behind it. And as these parks reopen, as Disney Plus continues to move, and my three okay. girls had on Minnie Mouse all day today, all Disney right. will be all right. Okay. Uh, Steve Weiss. FedEx, as we say in the hood, it got schmeistered, yet the fundamentals could not be better. I've never been. Okay. Right. Farmer Jim, quick. <laughs> Alaska Airlines. All right, another call on that one today. Does it for us. The exchange is right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.